Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Kind of in a refractory period right about now because although it's not this episode, we recorded just now for a future episode. It's going to come out soon though with Kevin Kinney, the wonderful, amazing sonic songwriter, performer. Actually, and don't say extraordinaire, Seth. We're sick of the extraordinaire thing. Who's we, by the way? Sorry, Dave and uh, maybe maybe one of your other friends. Your two people that. They, uh, those guys, I, I think, definitely. Any, any decision this man, Rob Turner, has is affected by what they think. Well, you know what? As you long, they, they give you an honest answer. I mean, they can rub my hair the wrong way sometimes and piss me off, but at least I know I'm getting an honest answer. And, and a lot of people push away their friends that are most uh, honest with them, and I think those are the friends you should treasure the most because they're real. You can learn from people like that. And friendship's key. You know what? I think friendship is, a, is, a, is something that everybody should have. Right, and don't let, it, look, don't let your friends be a ghost, as we heard from the Great Peacock in our episode that we released earlier this week. I listened to that episode again as we released it and um, really enjoyed it. There's a lot of, I thought that was really... Yeah, I don't want to sound like an egomaniac, but that's a fucking awesome episode, so well, listen to it. Uh, and their music 10. is so good. I'm great like, singing, I, great instrumentation. I can't get enough of their music, and I'm really excited about the stuff coming through Atlanta. We're going to be able to see them a couple times now coming up. I think I'm going to have to take my son on that Sunday. They're Park Tavern. Par- Park Tavern. I don't think they're starting as early as you think. The event is listed at 6 p.m., but I bet they won't get on to later. Although the Leuven uh, sisters, what are they called? I don't know. Robert Pillay at Pillay and Clark, which I mis- said Pillay Financial the other day. Pillay and Clark, he turned me on to them. It's not the Leuven. Well, so we're going to, this episode here, we're going to be releasing our uh, sec- uh, second part of the Candler, but it's actually our third part because we have Great Peacock, and then we did Keller Williams on the prior one. Larkin Poe, that's their name. God damn it. Go on. Yeah, this is what we did. We cut segments for all three of these candlers right before Seth left. Before for, I went into my wet season. Yeah, oh, he's gone so long. It's, you know. What are you talking about? I've been gone for like a month and a half, two months. Oh. It's not nearly as long as I normally am gone for. Pine away every day. But we recorded the segments, and we want to keep things current, so... Well, it's not just that, Seth. So we were sipping wine, hanging in his office late night, and the last segments we cut were awful. Awful. Well, if you didn't get so drunk, Robert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> so we're going to talk about them now and do that now. But we have some things. Some things have happened, Seth, haven't they? Like Brooklyn Bowl has been sold, and everybody's concerned that it's going to go away. But Pete Shapiro says no. no oh, I didn't stay. read that part. Yeah, I heard people about were worried word. because that's what happened with Wetlands. Someone else bought the property, and then they had to. It was a developer, and they raised it. Right. So right. The, the initial was the initial reaction was that Brooklyn Bowl was going to go away. Shapiro. Brooklyn Bowl in New, in New York, the original, the OG. Not, this isn't the Vegas one or the London one. New York City, you're right. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. It is the... Uh, OG. Yeah, most definitely. It's a great room. Bowling alleys on your right, really good sound. Uh, the best... D- I'm not an expert on DJ. I've said this before, but Questlove, I saw him DJ there once. <laughs> amazing. The Anything stuff. Questlove does is great. I love Questlove. He's amazing. Well, he'll take... He'll use parts of the music that 
you might not even hear. And he'll marry them with a subtlety in, in the next song. And his transitions are just so artfully done, wonderful. Well, and Brooklyn Bowl is, is the place he's done it at, the, at which he's done it the most. He is a modern ethnomusicologist, Rob. He knows, I mean, he, the, if you listen to any of the stories about Quest, you'll learn that he grew up really digging into the Motown. His parents played music for him all the time. I mean, he was, his level of exposure is, is huge. And... Um, but Ryan Adams, I want to give a little shout out to. If the infamous string doctors are on, they're, they're infamous string dusters. They're on tour. Um, I listened to their set on NPR. Thank you, NPR, for broadcasting Newport Folk yeah, Festival. So, so awesome, Ryan, who I love him, and when he talks, he's hilarious. But talks a little too much at Newport just because there's a limited time. But he's hilarious, so I don't know what to make of it. But he also played on Colbert. But the string dusters, I mean, to, that's it. That. I would never have guessed those two would be paired together, Ryan Adams and the String Dusters. String Dusters have been growing in, in popularity. Just, you know, I've seen that, their growth very similar to what I saw with Green Sky Bluegrass, yes. how, how quickly uh, the audiences are engaging them, and it's really great. But this, this is, I mean, not only is this great music, which every, I mean, it's all the buzz on Facebook. It's like, I mean, it even trumped Trump on Facebook. And let me say, I, I'm quick to... Poke fun at Seth when he says stupid crap, just because there's so many opportunities. But he, when we were talking with Kevin before the interview, you made a really good point, something I've never heard about. It's uh, with Steve Martin playing with, um, it's not Old Crow, what's the band? Steve Canyon Rangers. It's kind of like another Oh Brother, Where Art Thou moment, where these bands yeah. are getting fueled by it, and it's a, a re-interest in... Not uh, just the fans. Oh, sorry. Not, no, just no. The, yeah, not just the fans, but the artists as well, and it's creating, in the, in the business of touring musician, music, you know, it, it's... It's, gi- it's giving a lot of weight and power. Um, but I think that it really aff- that affected the whole scene of bluegrass music, by all means, in, in, in modernizing it in some way in the terms of opening people's ears to it. Exposure, that's the word I'm looking for. It really exposed it. Um, uh, we're in Democratic National Convention this week, and uh, Seth might let me talk about it briefly, but it would be at the very end of the episode. But in the meantime, last night, Steve Colbert opens his show with a... Uh, little parody, little lampooning of the establishment Democrats, mm-hmm. done in a total psychedelic style that was put me immediately in the mind of the Black Angels. I, I even tweeted, Twitter, Twitter, tweeted about it. If you, did, if you tweeted, wouldn't it be you twatted or twat? That, speaking of Colbert, you just stole the line from him. He said that on a morning show a long time ago. <laughs> Stopped, <laughs> silenced the room. <laughs> morning, oh, wow. morning TV. Twatted. Well, I, I, on the Colbert note, though... Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, if it's just uh, because of the elections or whatnot. But I feel like I mean, with John Stewart going on his show and just there's something about his show is finally. I think the this is giving his show what it needed. I hope so, but because the rumor is that they were seriously considering bringing the character back. That was my concern when Colbert first got. The, uh, the show is that abandoning the, that really the Colbert Report was an amazing show on Comedy Central, but it was geared around that character. Mm-hmm. He was really unproven. Even as a reporter in advance of that on The Daily Show, he was in character, not to the extent that he was when he had his own show, but still. And then he became himself on CBS. And I think a lot of people underappreciated what a jump that was. And I don't know. You think he'll go back to the character? Or you think he'll stay? I don't know. I don't know. I think that my gut tells me he's going to stay and he's going to bring the character back more often than we have seen. I want to bring up two other things to change the subject because uh, we, I, want to, I want to get a couple things in here, if that's all right. Sure. Real quick, though, if you hang on to the end of the episode, you'll get my opinions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go get ahead. my opinions on Sarah Silverman, Elizabeth Warren, Marsha Fudge, uh, you know, uh, Cory Booker. But that's for later. 
Go ahead. What were you I want to. I want to give a. As you all know, if you and if you don't, uh, we are sponsored here at Inside Out with Turner and Seth. We're sponsored by Terrapin Beer and Terrapin Beer. In the news this week, uh, got fifty-one uh, percent bought out. Uh, well, it's a letter of intent. I'm told. So oh, far. it's not. I thought it's done. Well, generally that will lead to a sale. Well, but I want. I want to just get a little something out on that. Um, a lot of people. Also, Miller has a division of their corporation that manages craft breweries, the craft brewery division of Miller Corp. Now, they were 30%, I forget the figures, and I apologize for not being having all this in front of me, but basically they were a small shareholder, or not a majority share, uh, uh, for like two years. Terrapin, they bought into Terrapin. I think it was like two, maybe three, but it was about, probably about two years. Now, this is awesome that, 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 that you know, they've had this relationship with stuff, but people now that they have 51% or are going to have 51%, a lot of people saying, oh, they sold out or blah, 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 or what it is. And, and, and quite frankly, I thought about it. And I got to say, did. yeah, I did. And I got, quite I, frankly, I thought about it. And this is my thought. Uh, there, there, is a, there is a sense of selling out that, that people always have when, when uh, a corporation takes over. But here's the thing about the, re, the business side of it that I respect and I have to acknowledge that they had about a two year, three year relationship with this corporation to see how things would be handled, how things are handled. And obviously, they're comfortable enough to, with their brand and the relationship to, to let that, that happen. And I, and I believe that it will pan out pretty good. But, you know, who knows? Time will tell. But I do feel like, the, you know, you have to look at, the, you look at it. A couple other key points, one of which I actually got from you or was reminded of by you. The first point would be uh, we're in an age where these big companies are coming in with a little more sensitivity to the importance of, of the craft beers. I'm, I'm, I, we, we talked about it in one of our very first episodes. The, the companies are not coming in heavy-handed. They're, they're, as far as I understand, really trying to maintain the integrity of the product, that, the initial product. And not trying to take that product right. and use it for its branding, but then take their flavor and exactly. turn the flavor into... Something easier to make, something more homogenous, something more lowest common denominator. That, that's not going to happen it, with Seth. better with our see, brand. See, what happened, much like a smart band would do, I would say Fish did this, they waited until they have leverage, you know? A smart band doesn't go for the first record label. A smart business doesn't go for the first offer. You wait. You wait. You test the waters. You see how you develop relationships. You gain leverage and gain familiarity, and I swear, I think Terrapin's done it at the right point. And also, John and Spike, who run that company, not just great guys, hard working guys who sacrificed a lot of things in life for a long time to build this company, they should be able to do whatever the fuck they want with it. Don't you think, Seth? I do. I definitely do. Also, we're sponsors of Candler Park. Remember this episode's about Candler Ah, uh, yes. Oh, and speaking of Candler Park, before we get into... You know, okay, we're already into it, so we're already into it. I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm done saying before we get into it because we are into it, but I do want to say... Also camaraderie. Because you don't say it right. Go on. Man, Go Rob, on, just go on. Go on. I would like to say, ladies and gentlemen, come big on, news. Come on, can, on, can, I get, can I get a little news blurb kind of thing? Inside Out with Turner and Seth is proud to announce that we will be recording live at Lockin Festival. Do you want to know the surreal moment I had with this? Yeah, tell me. First of all, we've had a lot of issues lately, starting with Seth's wife f- fell off a horse, was thrown off a horse. Uh, Robert Kwan, our sound engineer, who's not here, we can talk about him, right? He doesn't ever listen to this shit, right? He only listens to the edit points, right? Robert. He had a bike accident, admitted that he was at fault. And now, just yesterday, 
my wife was in a serious car accident on I-20, a very scary one. She was rear-ended. Clearly she's by, all right, though. She's all right, but the she distracted driver who caused the accident isn't. And uh, she was, my, my wife was pushed into a, a lane. <clears throat> you know, it, it could have been worse. She was yeah, pushed on the yeah. side. Could have been a Dale Earnhardt situation. But um, she was all right, but here's the deal. I went down to, to meet her because it was on I-20. <laughs> So I'm literally in the middle of I-20 amidst wreckage when I get the text from Seth that we got the credentials for lock. So I, I was like, oh, this is horrible. And Stephanie's crying and stuff like that. And I was like, well, will this cheer you up? Oh, well, uh, I'm really glad she's all right. And, and, and it was scary. I'm excited was... to see what happens here as we get into the lock-in. Uh, and, and having Candler behind us now and in front of you all because I really... Yeah, we're, we're very excited. This, this episode here, uh, you're going to hear our interview with Ali Crawl. Later on. And you're going to, well, we'll tell you in a minute. But tell him. Well, Keller sort of. Oh, no, don't tell him that. I thought you were going to say who else we interviewed on it. Dwayne Trucks from Hardworking Americans and. Isn't Dwayne on the other one? No, Dwayne's on this one. Didn't we just do, didn't we do. We did Brandon Mize. Not Brendan, Brandon Mize. And Keller. And oh, Keller. yeah. So, yeah. no, Dwayne's on this one. Yeah, that's right. Dwayne. Hey, yeah, uh, Dwayne. Good to have you on board, Seth. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to Rob. It's Whitesburg Panic. That's the other man he's in. Whitesburg Panic. That's right. Can I tell you something? On my journeys, I, 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 this is a good story, folks. So I'm, I'm Just say it's a story. Let them decide if it's good or not. All right, fine. This is a story. This is Wh- a story. Whitesburg Panic. Uh, Rob saw them at Red Rocks. He's going to get into that. Yeah, we'll get into that. A week the later, Sunday day show. Ooh. Never miss a Sunday, bro. Never don't miss uh, a Sunday. Never, never miss, miss a, a chance Sunday. to use a tired expression. It's enough with the never miss a Sunday show. We get it. We get it. Okay, go on. Sir. So uh, I'm on my way to go to the site inspection for the big blues bender, uh, which is in take, which takes place in Las Vegas. And I'm on the plane. I'm getting on the plane, and I see someone comes up to me and they're like, "Hey, man, you're the guy that does Panic in the Playa. What's going on?" See, Seth is the voice of a lot of the activities when uh, Panic in the Playa, which I'm is in Mexico. I'm, I'm an MC for for the event. I do he a lot even of activities. He even stuff, conducted yeah. interviews by the pool with uh, Randall Bramlett, with Patterson Hood, who yeah, else? Yeah, and and, uh, um, and uh, George Porter Jr. That was a good one. Pool so to, broadcast, but so to widespread Panic fans who've been to that event. Seth is a familiar face. And they come running to me. Hey, man, you, oh, you, you know, what's going on? You're you going to go panic this year? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a panic. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, oh, I'm so excited. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, all right. And then next thing you know, they're on my plane. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. Panic's got to be playing in Vegas. I, what music guy goes to Las Vegas for, for whatever and doesn't look at who's going to be playing? So anyway. Uh, someone who's in industry and not on the fan side? Well, maybe? I, w- <laughs> I was... <laughs> I was there, you know, on a site inspection and meetings, and so I ended up going to going to the shows. Went two nights, and uh, Dirty Dozen opened for him. Now, I listen. I like Panic, but I'm not a huge Panic fan. Uh, I'll, I'll admit that. But I gotta tell you, man, wow, the Dirty Dozen guys came out with them, and and they were great when the full band came out. But when it was just the horns, the, I'm telling you, it was. It was fantastic, and there was moments where Jimmy stopped playing what he does. He, he broke the shell of what he does with Panic, and he opened up into the jazz fusion side. Of, and it's like, and the horns and him. Oh my God! I'm like, this is this is really good music. I was I was really impressed. I got to see uh, Dirty doesn't play with them a few times. It's been a, it's been a long time. It was a long time ago, but so good. The one time that they did at Hampton Coliseum. If you're a Spreadhead or a Dirty Dozen fan, 
find that tape. I don't know the date, but whatever. There was a one time I saw them. And they did Swamp by Talking Heads. They did just a fantastic mm-hmm. show with a lot of guests. And uh, yeah, I went to Colorado, saw Widespread on Sunday. <clears throat> we, we hosted um, a viewing party for Fish. That would have been, what, Wrigley? The night before. <laughs> and we were up pretty... Actually, my wife was up all night. I, I went to... Uh, up all night. And they played that. They played Traveling Light. They played all the stuff that was totally appropriate. But anyways, I, I took two hours of sleep because I knew once we got to Colorado, I'd be the one driving. We, we fly out there on no sleep like we're kids again. I'm you almost 50. I can't You be, sleep on the plane. I, not very well. Actually, the plane, I was listening to the cassettes I would give away after the widespread show. One last listen, baby. Uh, Genesis by Hot Tuna they played. Oh, hadn't seen them do that in a long time. That was beautiful. Wonderful. Then we spent about a week in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Pikes Peak. up. Take the train up Pikes Peak, people. Beautiful. It's near Colorado Beautiful. Springs. It really is. And beautiful. And then uh, uh, Humphreys McGee, two nights at, at Red Rocks, two outstanding shows. Uh, kind of a big moment for me growing up on Frank Zappa. Uh, Dweezil Zappa, on the heels of this Zappa controversy, which don't get into it, Yet we'll have an episode on that in the future. But the Zappa family crap, I have very strong opinions about it, but I don't want to get in. Dweezil not only played a wonderful show, like Help I'm a Rock at Red Rocks. Ah, uh, I, I appreciate a good pun. So yeah, I get it. It can't happen here at Red Rocks. Um, anyways, and then he came out with Humphreys in the middle of Utopian Fur, and he and Jake, I mean, he and Bre- Brendan was digging it, but he and Jake really, really went toe to toe. Brendan referenced one of the Zappa albums in the, his introduction to. Why do you choose toe-to-toe instead of head-to-head? Is there a difference? You know, it actually was more head-to-head because they were leaning forward, so I I stand corrected. Very, very good. Dweezil seemed to be having a great time. Um, Again, Twitter, I tweeted that these people should tour together because, I mean, Dweezil Zappa could do a a rotating set list Mm -hmm. and could sit in. And Humphreys could do... Humphreys shows... God bless you, Humphreys, but they're, they're not long shows. They're short shows, you know? You get a 70-minute set, you get an 80-minute set, something like that. I mean, Bayless, I've seen him look at the clock like it's uh, the Zabruder film. You could do a three-set show with Dweezil Zappa sitting in. Easily ugh, do it. Vince, well, is Vince listening to the show yet? I don't know. Come Let's on, see. Vince. Say something to see if he responds on Twitter. Uh, please release video of the Metallica cover you sang at Tep Honor. Uh, and, and right before here, we get into the Candler stuff. I do want to... I do want to say it's been, it's been thus far a really good summer. And, and one of the first things we talked about, the triangle of love and the festivals and stuff, I still got to say Electric Forest, wow, it, that festival's so dialed in when it comes to that piece of it, that element, the triangle. The musicians are having a blast. And, oh, get this, uh, and there's a little footage on the Work Exchange Team uh, Facebook page, but uh, Jason Huber of Cherub was there, and he... Uh, he comes up to me and he says, hey, Seth, I want to do a, um, we used to, so, okay, back, back story, we used to, at the end of a work exchange team, wet volunteer program, we would uh, do a party on Sunday night at Electric Forest. And so he said, hey, let's do that at the tent. Um, can, we, can we do that? I'm like, well, sure. So who does he bring? One of the biggest acts of the, of the whole weekend. Grizz. Yeah. And so, like, Grizz. And, and, and all good records, uh, his, his record label, um, and they bring out a couple other uh, DJs. What about, and what about all good records? What about it? That's, his, that's Grizz's label. So it was a lot of the all good performers. Oh, you know? I see. Okay. And, they, and, and at the wet tent till like four in the morning in front of the Ferris wheel outside of the venue, you know, just, just a huge little party there. It was uh, really, 
really cool moment. But th again, so this is that point, the triangle of love. I mean, the fans are having a great time. The musicians are having a great time. Let's not the gloss over that. Let's not gloss time. over that. Let's not gloss over that. Cherub and Grizz are contracted to play a festival. They're done. They've fulfilled their obligation. They've played their sets. This is above and beyond. This is, this is, this, I love this. Yeah, man. And they're doing it to encourage people who've, who've donated their time to some extent. I know they're getting paid. I know they're getting paid, Seth. But to some extent, they're donating their time and trying to get in the industry. This is a, such a positive thing. I mean, this is like one of the greatest things about the work exchange program, in my opinion. And by the way, Cherub is in town in a few weeks. and we're They gonna just announced. Uh, yeah. Look at their tour dates. But in Atlanta, they're playing the Tabernacle. That's awesome. What's the date? Um, I'll look it up. Yeah, coming up. Also, so what we want to do... And I'm going to go ahead and say this, even if it doesn't happen to them. But we want to do, like how we're doing now, we're filming this segment. Um, we're filming? <laughs> <laughs> I would have wore something different. I didn't know we're filming. I got my best deer hunter shirt on. Um, we're recording a segment that's going to be essentially the intro and the outro. Mm -hmm. So since we just had Great Peacock and Cherubon so recently, maybe have them sit in on our intro and outro. I like that idea. We talked about that. We've got some other ideas, too. Um, and on that note, thank you all that have been listening. Uh, our numbers definitely are going up, and, and we've actually been getting some feedback, uh, positive and negative, and we'll take the negative. We love the negative. You learn more from the negative. How many times do I have to tell you? I, I shut up. Do you listen to me? I'm actually shutting up. The kitty interview, you guys are going to be, you're, gonna, you're not going to believe it. Although he wasn't, he wasn't, he kind of trained, he's like a train when he's talking. It's hard to interrupt him anyways. I don't think you could have if you tried. On that note, it's a good thing. No, not just yet. If you're a publicist or you're a band and you're playing Lockin and you are really interested in being interviewed, either uh, one of our Festi Flash chats or one of our more sit-down, we have a house down there, more sit-down, more uh, extended one, send us a press kit or send us something. Inside out, WTNS at gmail.com. We've got some of the bigger ones lined up. We've got some good things cooking. Corotas for sure, right? Uh, Kuro yeah, Kuroda. Well, I mean, nothing's for sure. Uh, he said he was interested. He wants to do it. So we're gonna we're gonna hopefully be able to make that happen. Yeah, everything should fall into place, right? Um, also, Volpec. Volpec. This is a good time to get Kuroda. He just he just worked with Waffle, so he must be very excited. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get into this episode. Uh, we've got Dwayne Trucks, and by the way, Dwayne Trucks is uh, if you he's he is having such success. I'm really I got to be honest. I'm really. Ex I gotta stop saying I gotta be honest. I'm tired of that expression too. You know why you know why you don't wanna say that? Because it gives someone the impression that you're breaking format and that in general you're something other than honest. Yeah. So no more I gotta be honest with you. I'm being honest with you. Is that better? Just no. Just, Just say don't, it. Don't refer to it. Hardworking Americans have the honesty I'm, be implied. I'm excited to see hardworking Americans. I, I believe they're coming to Atlanta pretty soon. Oh, I've got the dates right here. And I'm excited. You know, Dwayne Trucks is this is a great project he's in. I think that, uh, from what I've heard, Schools is really excited about the project, and, uh, and uh, Todd Schneider is uh, just the whole thing. I'm excited. I, I, wasn't, I, was, I was very skeptical about this band, I will tell you that. Why? I don't know, because I, I'm not a big Panic fan, and when Schools isn't something, i kind of like, well, eh, whatever. I think if you consider Widespread Panic a southern rock band, yeah. I think Dave Schools is the most danceable bassist in the history of southern rock, yeah. and I think that's one of his gifts. And I think he's grown. I'll admit, when I first saw Panic, I thought it was fun. It was a, it was a diversion, and it was all about JB. 
fucking schools is incredible and awesome now. And when he's with hardworking Americans and yeah. locking him with Dwayne, and, and, and you can tell he loves Todd as a front man. I mean, th- this is such a great fan. I'll tell you, should we start with the one I'm going to? Because I'm, I'm plopping, I'm doing... I don't think we need to give dates. If people have the internet, Rob, let's just get into this episode, for real. Uh, people have dates. So, and if you don't have a date, you can go online. I think there's uh, some dating sites. If you're Jewish, there's J-Date, there's uh, Farmers. What the hell is this Farmer one? What the hell is that? Is All right, here's what we'll do. We'll compromise. They're doing the West Coast, uh, Seattle, Portland, Arcata, San Francisco, L.A. Then, then they come east, Dallas, Austin, and then they're in Atlanta at the Buckhead Theater, August 20th. Not a big fan of that room, but I love this band I so know, much. I know. The Wood Brothers are also going to be at Buckhead Theater, and I hope, to, I hope we're going to be there for that because Oliver's... A, I'll Oliver, go there for the Wood Brothers. I'm going to go to Iron City in Birmingham the night before. It's in between uh, two Humphreys shows. Mm-hmm. Humphreys in Memphis, then they play with Symphony in Nashville. This show in Birmingham in between. That's where I'll see him at Iron City. And then Knoxville, they're playing the cellular stage at Bijou Theater. When the hell did Bijou Theater sell their soul out to? I don't know. And Neighborhood Theater in Charlotte. If you live in Charlotte and you've never been to the Neighborhood Theater, you've got to go. It's in the Bohemian Noda District. And it's a great, great room run by cool people. The Congress is opening for them. The Congress is opening a bunch of these for them. August 23rd. And, okay, no more dates. Yeah, thank you. Seth hates dates. Well, I mean, you know, it's just dated. So... Here's the point. Well, let's get into the episode, which is Candler Park. This is our last episode of the series of Candler Park. We really enjoyed doing it. A big thanks again to Rival Entertainment for having us. Robert Kwan for having the boom, boom and, and uh, taking the boom of the stage out. And, and um, he, he set us up and had it sounding great. He's such a... Now that he's not here, I can tell him he's such a gifted guy. We're he really, really is. We're really lucky to have he him. He takes a lot of care. And also Josh Thane with Wonder Dog Sound Studios uh, has been super helpful uh, put it, for helping us put some of these shows together. And we're closing uh, in on a chance to do an interview out there and some, have yeah. a live performance. Oh, no, we're going to do something there. It's a, it's a really neat space. And maybe even a video. We'll see. Oh, thank you for mentioning Josh Thane. Um, the Red Light Cafe. Yes. He does the coolest thing called the Vinyl Night, where people bring vinyl in. It's the first Monday of every month, so I imagine it's coming up August 1st? Or August, is it August 8th? August 1st would be uh, probably the first. I asked him to August tell 2nd, me. It, August 2nd is the, uh, my, my wife's birthday, and also... The first of Kevin Kinney's Five Nights that we'll be talking about our, our next episode, Five Night Residency, Kevin Kinney at City Winery. You want to go? You want to get your tickets? He will tell you all about I'm it. I'm really excited about that. It's um, going to be so gonna cool. It's going to be good. And I'm also very excited to share with you all this episode right now because here it comes ladies and gentlemen with radio voice it's radio voice time i'm just gonna piss off rob's friend dave and whoever else by using a radio voice you listen to jam on and i'm gonna the time and now and now baba booey and now sarah silverman said that stay tuned to the end i've got comments on the on the convention and you'll love them or hate them if you don't want to hear them tune out whatever this is Dwayne Trucks from the Candler Park Music Festival.
Candler Park Music Festival in lovely Atlanta, Georgia. Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we welcome Dwayne Trucks with us. Hi, Turner and Seth. Dwayne's <laughs> actually here just to hang out. I am here to hang out. I'm excited. It's Thanks. rare, but fun. You've been working hard. You deserve a little break. A little time <laughs> to enjoy other people's music. Right, right so he's on. a hardworking American. Ah, there you go. Well oh, done, Seth. Way to tie it in, man. Yeah, man. Just got off like a two-month two month, uh, stretch with panic and hardworking and uh, had a few days off. And Neil, my buddy from Hardworking Americans, is here playing with Chris Robinson Brotherhood and some close friends of mine from here in Atlanta, King Baby, were playing. So had to come check it out and hang with everyone. Yeah, you really recently moved out west, right? Um, yeah, well, kind of. Uh, moved out west for about a year. And then, uh, and then once the panic thing became uh, solidified and long term, uh, the wife, the wife kind of requested a move back towards uh, the home base. So, so we're in the process of moving back to Georgia. We had a fun little, you know, 15 month West Coast adventure, but I think Georgia is home. So, trying to put down some roots here and see what happens. I like living in Georgia myself. I don't, I, I don't see myself moving. <laughs> Although, 10 minutes ago, by the way, he did say something about potentially moving to Nashville. If I ever moved, it would be to Nashville. Nashville's My wife fun. Agrees. Nashville's a lot of fun. Spending a lot of time there. That's where we just ended our tour, and that's kind of like hardworking Americans, like kind of home base. That's where a lot of the management and a few of the guys in the band live. So, so I've been spending a lot of time in Nashville, and it is fun, but Atlanta's more homey for me than Can you talk about that more, though? That's becoming more of a permanent gig? Uh, uh, hardworking Americans. Yes. Yeah, man. Well, you know, it's always been like a fun, like side thing that we'll all do whenever, whenever the schedules align. You know, everyone's in a different band. Keyboard players in Great American Taxi. Todd Snyder does his own thing. Me and Dave do the Panic thing. Neil Casal is in Chris Robinson Brotherhood. So it's it's really tough to thread the scheduling needle. But whenever it happens, you know, it, it's a blast. And with Panic slowing down next year, we're hoping to crossing our fingers, hoping to get some more time in with the band. It's you know, it's a baby. Even though it's three years old, the number of shows we played is about, you know, equivalent to what a new band would play in the first six months of their existence. So it's a pretty new band, you know, as far as how much time we spend on stage. But we're hoping that things will line up and we can get into it with some more in 2017. But at first it was mostly, well, well-chosen covers. Yeah, a yeah. A lot of covers. Absolutely. Now you're doing more and more of Todd's material. Did you well, kind of have to talk him into playing his own songs? No, it was, you know, it was a concept thing, and we originally weren't going to tour. It was just going to be that one record. But then we had so much fun. We're like, all right, we'll do a little, a few night run and see what it feels like. And it was just, it was just kind of lightning in a bottle. And we were like, well, shit, we gotta, we gotta take this thing out on the road. And then that turned into making an album and it, we didn't have to talk Todd in anything the second like the vibe was there and the chemistry was you know obvious Todd was just throwing lyrics throwing stories throwing poems at us and just like let's make music and so this new record that we just put out on the 13th of May uh, is all originals that we wrote together uh, minus one which is a Guy Clark tune and we you know Guy Guy Clark just passed away a couple weeks ago and we found out that like the session that he did with us is like one of the last sessions he ever did and it was playing his song you know that we recorded for our album so oh, pretty wow. stoked about very it very cool <laughs> odd timing cheers <laughs> um yeah no so uh coming back to atlanta and being in the area you excited to maybe pick up some new projects there's new venues here since you left you know that's true there, there's a few new places here since i left i'm stoked you know this is where i cut my teeth i moved here when i was 18 and just immediately started playing on the scene and was just 
you know, welcomed with open arms by a lot of the, you know, Kevin Scott, who's like a pillar of the Atlanta music scene and just one of the baddest bass players I've ever played with. We were, he played here earlier with King Baby. King Baby. Yeah, yeah. And uh, me and him were attached to the hip for basically up until I started Hard Working Americans with Dave. It was like Kevin was the only bass player I would play with, and it was seven years straight with Colonel Bruce Hampton, with you're, you're Flannel the, Church. You're the uh, Colonel Bruce prom. Oh, Roger, so to say. yeah, we, me and I was there for three and a half years with, with the Colonel, and uh, Kevin was probably two of those years was there with me. And then after that, we started a band, Flannel Church, together, and then King Lincoln, and, uh, you know, and then that things just kind of moved on I'm, from there. I'm pretty sure it's Flannel Church that's the CD. It's a five-song EP, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the one that's been in my car. Okay, right on. Right on, man. It's, it has these lyrics that are great, and the vocals are, are right fantastic. On. My son loves it. He's... he's, he's He's one of your biggest fans. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Right well, on. Well, we got you. Can I ask you to tell a little quick story? Sure. Because we have aisle five down a little five points. But before that, it was called the five spot. That's right. And Dwayne used to be tied in with a, a, a weekly jam. Oh, yeah. And there was one night when the Allman Brothers were rehearsing in town. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it happened. It actually happened a couple times to where... Uh, where, I only caught where, one. ...where my brother <laughs> brother came through. But, yeah, Kevin, Kevin Scott, the one I was just talking about... He ran, he still runs a Tuesday night jam session. When the five spot closed, it moved uh, the Atlanta room at Smith's for maybe a year, and then it's now found a permanent home and been at Elliott Street Pub in the basement every Tuesday night, and it's been there for, ah, shit, maybe three years now, two or three years. And so, yeah, that was Kevin. Kevin Scott ran that thing, and, uh, yeah, Allman Brothers were in town rehearsing at Crossover, and uh, just brother called and was like, what are you doing tonight? I was like, well, jam session at... At Elliott Street, he's like, I'm coming. And then Warren hurt, caught wind and was like, I'm coming too. And then next thing we knew, word got out and the place was packed. And we were like, well, might as well play. And so it was fun, man. It's cool to Derek fight. hung out afterwards and was chatting with all of us. And oh, he's yeah. like real loose. I mean, Warren played for a while and got out. But yep. that was a special night. Derek you know? was hanging. I mean, it was fun. It was the first time. You know, I was maybe 19, maybe 20. And uh, it was the first time Derek got to, like, come and see the scene that that I that I had been living in for two years and like meet all the guys I'd been telling them about, see the place that I play all the time, and hear the kind of stuff that we were all cutting our teeth on. So it was cool. It was it was a lot of fun, man. What it's is it a, like seeing him go from this protege to literally maybe the greatest living slide player? I mean, the single note oh. stuff he does is when when you watch him play with a guitar player, irrespective of whether or not they can relate to the style of music. The single note stuff that that he does, they just rave about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Man, I, I, it's it's been wild, you know. He's it's all I've ever known, you know. He's uh, you know, it's all I've ever known is growing up, you know. When I was when I was born, Derek was just starting to play guitar. He was nine when he started playing, and we're nine years apart. So literally, since I was born. So it's your it, fault. You, he, he, you get all the attention. <laughs> you get born. You get all the attention. <laughs> He's like, I'm know, gonna play guitar, it. man. I'm gonna <laughs> learn this stuff. So you know. It was literally just around it my entire life. And uh, it was wild. And at first, you thought, you know, we all thought that we were just biased because it was Big Brother. Like, man, he's really fucking good. And you're like, well, he's my big brother. Of course, I'm going to think he's really good. And then he started to get national attention. And then the Clapton thing happened. And then it became really obvious. And Rolling Stone put him, you know, in the top 20 greatest guitarists of all time. And we're all like, oh, okay. It's not just family biased. He really is that fucking good. And it's, it's been wild. And it's been, you know, for me, coming up as a musician and playing a different instrument, it's been, it's been wild to learn lessons, you know, learn lessons of, you know, how to handle yourself professionally and, you know, uh, up, 
uphold musical integrity and not, you know, you get lots of offers to do things that you might not want to do musically and the money might be good, but you kind of got to remain true to what you're doing and that ultimately is going to be better in the long run. And I think that's a lesson that I've been able to learn watching him do that, you know, get offered gigs that might not be the most musically inspiring thing and he just wouldn't, wouldn't take them. And people thought he was crazy for, you know, I won't name names of people that offered him gigs, but people right. thought he was crazy for not taking certain gigs and he didn't. And then now he is where he is because he held upheld his musical integrity and, you know, something to learn from as a younger brother looking up to his older brother for sure. And from the fan side, Clapton fans treasure him for, <laughs> I think it was the Japan tour before the U.S. tour mm -hmm. where they were sitting Clapton down and saying, you should play this, mostly Derek and the Domino stuff, you yeah. know. But like the, the stuff that the got to be, got to get better in a little while and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, stuff I've been played in years. But how about your own career jump? Oh man, it's been a, been a crazy couple years. I'm super grateful. You know, went from went from Colonel Bruce Hampton to trying you know my own bands and stuff, and then the hardworking American things, uh, hardworking Americans thing happened, and then about a year and a half later, you know, got the call to temporary fill in with Panic. And Tell then, us about that call. You know, well, we were actually in Nashville with uh, with hardworking Americans, and Dave just kind of pulled me aside, was like, "Hey, you know, Todd needs wants to take some time off. Uh, you know, what do you think about coming in and playing with Panic?" And I was like, "Sure, I'd, I'd love to. It's, you know, I've always wanted to play with Jimmy. I didn't I didn't know their music well enough to be able to say that like like I love it. I can't wait to do it. But it it became a thing real quickly that like." you know, thought I was going to have to learn 60 to 70 songs for the gig and quickly learned that, like, no, you got to learn, like, 250 songs to do this gig. And right off the bat, first week of learning songs, the, like, music just hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, wow, this is the, you know, the modern-day equivalent of, like, you know, just super rad, psychedelic southern rock and roll. And I, I fell in love immediately and have just been enamored with it ever since. And, you know, it's one thing to learn songs of shit you don't like to play. And it just goes in one ear and out the other. And a week later, you forgot the song that you had to learn for some shitty wedding gig. With this band, it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's been, like, a, a challenge that I love because I love the music. What's, and I really have fallen as a player, with right? It. When yeah. you, when you take the time to learn all that stuff. Absolutely. What's more challenging for you? Learning the music or playing with your father-in-law? You know what? Learning the music has been aided by the father-in-law because he just learned all this music, you know, it's been a decade now that he's been with Panic. And so, I mean, he had to learn it the same way I had to learn it, you know. It's, it's a different part of the brain writing a song as opposed to learning a song. You could write a song and never have to think twice about the arrangement or the form or any of that stuff, but if you learn a song, you're gonna have to remind yourself what that arrangement is, what that form is, and with him around, he he knows that because he had to learn the entire Dead catalog when he was playing with the Dead, and then he had to learn the entire Panic catalog, both of which are massive. And so it was, you know, it was a big help. covers in between both that are shared but played differently. Absolutely, absolutely. Low Spark and stuff like that, he played with Phil and then plays with Panic, and, you know, and there's small arrangement differences. But, you know, Jimmy is, man, Jimmy's he's such a good teacher. Just, like, if I'm just trying to learn something on guitar, he's like, hey, man, let me show you how it's done. This is the, mo it's the easiest way. This is the most ergonomic way to play this. This is all about efficiency, you know. And then the same thing goes when learning songs. It's like you know, counting bar lengths and all, all this stuff. It's Jimmy's been a huge help. And I think 
So to answer the question, learning the music has been the bigger challenge. Playing with Jimmy is cake because he's just such a pro and such a master at his instrument. At this point, it, it's pretty obvious that you and Dave Schools have a pretty special connection. <laughs> but when was it first uh, apparent to you that, that he in particular and you like clicked? Man, you know, it was when we when we got in the studio to record the first Hard Working Americans album, we had never played together, barely met most of the guys in the band. You know, it was just literally like, hey, how's it going? Nice to meet you. Put the headphones on and like, all right, what song are we going to cut? You know, and so right off the bat, it felt good. But then really it's getting out on stage and playing it live and then, you know, hitting the road for a minute with Hard Working Americans that it was like, oh, shit. Like, you know, we all joke all the guys that have played with Colonel Bruce, we all joke that there's two types of musicians. Musicians that have played with Bruce and musicians that haven't played with Bruce. You know, and, and they they all fall into that category, whether they were in his band or just surrounded by Bruce at a young age, which Panic was, you know, so there was a Bruceism. Exactly, you know. We as we all like to say, like you've been broken. You've been broken by Bruce. And so, you know, that was one thing that me and Dave hit it off immediately. It was like, oh man. We're both ruined individuals that have been around Bruce and had our brains scrambled so many times that, like, it just helps the, you know, it helps the overall personal chemistry, musical chemistry, and, yeah, I think we all owe a lot to Bruce. That's how I'm going to answer every question is Bruce from now on because well, we hope, it really uh, is. We hope now that you're going to be back in Atlanta that we'll see a lot more of you and a lot <laughs> more of you and Bruce because, you know, there are middays in the week to fill. <laughs> That's also, right. a big supporter of this program, our very first guest. You know, oh Bruce, so was. he's always oh, yeah. reaching out in any way possible to help the scene. He's a, oh. he's a very, you know, generous in that way. Yeah, Bruce is a Bruce is a patriarch of the whole thing around here. You know, he he really, you know, I mean, when you got cats like Zappa and Dwayne Allman being enamored by you when they're in their prime and bringing you into record companies to get record deals, like that says a lot for somebody's impact on guys that are now legends to all of us and you know it's like with with a dude like bruce still on the scene still playing places like Northside tavern or you know aisle five or wherever you know whatever the the gig is he's never he's never too big for anything you know and he's always helping young guys and just really like bringing young guys in to find themselves and giving them a playground to like you got to be disciplined but in that same sense you have total freedom to do whatever you want well, while we're talking to a drummer about Bruce, I mean, growing up in the crowd, you did. Did Jeff Sipe have an influence on you? Or? Oh, big time, big time. Jeff Sipe and young Rico Scott were the two guys when I was Rico. a kid. That, I love Rico. That just, I mean, for me, that was that was everything as a young kid, seeing those guys. And, you know, with, and I felt like I got lucky because with young Rico, it was so much about groove and feel and pocket and just, like, making something feel good. And then with Sipe, you got that that like really esoteric super like amazing like sophistication of drumming which is you know whether it's studying indian classical rhythm like rhythmic you know the rhythmic lang language of the indian classical players or just learning how to like train your body Sipe is such a master and when you see him it's such ease with the way he does it and it's yeah, as a kid, it was definitely stuff that you're just like 15 years old, smoking weed, listening to listening to your favorite Hendrix record, trying to play, and Sipe is like, check this out, and you just, your mind melts, and you're like, oh my God, that's how you do it. He's like, it's real simple, man, watch this, and breaks it down for you, and you're like, oh, thank you, and you're just, I'm going to work with that for the rest of my life, and so yeah. Well, Derek was always about East Indian classical, did he get Big that time. from Sipe? 
Um, I think it was a it was a group thing. I think uh, you know it's hard to say with all those guys because they were all passing records around and. I mean, really, I would, I would guess that they're probably all, if you ask Derek Sipe or any of those guys, or Sean Lane, if he was still around, if you could ask any of them, I'm sure they would all credit Colonel Bruce Hampton to some, to some extent because he had su- and, or has such an unbelievable depth of understanding of all types of music, like all types of music he's, he knows. And so, you know, for, for those guys, it was definitely a mutual thing. They were all, you know, influencing each other and what they listened to. And Derek was, Derek was a baby. You know, Derek was 14, 15 when ARU, when Aquarium Rescue Unit was doing their thing. And, uh, and so I would probably say that it was Bruce and Sype that got Derek into it. And I know Sean Lane, who, who Jeff Sype went on to play with for years, is considered like one of the only, uh, you know, American musicians to really understand the Indian classical way of playing and you know he is somebody that if you haven't heard Sean Lane is Memphis Tennessee and just as deep as it gets but it makes sense if you feed your mind with a wide variety of music then as a player you're going to be more informed and have more of a wide variety approach yourself absolutely you're only as deep as the well you draw from you know and uh, that's a deep well that you draw from so (laughs) hey thank you for uh, taking some of your time out of your day look forward to seeing great things from you That was great. I really enjoyed having it. That, w- that was really great, Rob. Dwayne brought us some, some great insight, we, and, and it was really neat to be able to do that. That was our first uh, flash chat. Festy flash chat. Festy flash chat. Festy flash chat. I came up with that. You did, actually. Thank you. Round of applause. I've also come up with all the segments that so, we don't do anymore. So Dwayne was sitting backstage uh, in the VIP whatever area. You guessed what it on. Enjoying was, himself, leisure, not working, uh, away and, from and, work. And he was hanging with Lopez, uh, who happens to Steve Lopez, his widespread panics uh, road manager. And so I bothered them both. I'm like, yeah, hey, guys, would you? And, and Lopez will be a guest of ours sometime soon. He's, Absolutely. He's, he's open to it. But Dwayne was like, yeah, no, I'll, I'll do that right now. So we went back there and, and popped that uh, festy flash chat. And it was actually really great. And Dwayne, uh, I've, I mean, I've, I've seen him grow up in this scene here. And he talked about that. And it was really, 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 really enlightening. You know what my wife calls him, right? What? Widespread Viagra. Widespread Viagra. <laughs> based based on recordings all right that's enough that's enough based on recordings i've heard it's pretty accurate yeah he, he, yeah moving right along we have no, the no 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 let's take let's crawl into this next part okay slowly <laughs> crawl into it because uh, oh by the way uh, speaking of puns <laughs> great moment for Seth because shortly after both Kevin and I called him out for his puns he dropped 
one of the best puns he's ever done. And not just on the show. Don't give like, it away. <laughs> Don't give it away. Fucking so funny. I'm glad you like that one. That one just, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, too, he shut his eyes and was giggling hard. It was... So let's crawl into this. It's like this Gilbert Gottfried. You are at your best. You're like Gilbert you, you Gottfried. Know, you know what someone said to me uh, the other day? They go, Seth, you are the modern day Eugene Levy. You, you are the Eugene Levy for this generation. Isn't it Levy? No, it's Levy. Sorry. Is he a musician? He's Jewish. Is he a musician? No, Eugene. Well, that's why I don't know. Who cares? Anyway, so Ali. Not a musician. What's, what's exciting? Okay, first of all, as we get into this, uh, Ali's awesome. She's. she's a fantastic person amazing, to talk to. Amazing violin player. Started with Cornmeal, which was kind of a little podunk band that grew into a freaking energy machine. And, and actually, even without her, they're still pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I know it's hard to lose her, but they still, even though they're playing in smaller crowds, but she, she took, they freaking throw down. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I'm, <laughs> no, no, I'm done. I'm done. That was an awful face you just made at me. That hurts. Oh, I was burping. Oh. Holding it in so the audience didn't smell it. So Allie, though, she, uh, yeah, so she makes, I don't even know if I'm going to tell you about the interview. Let's just get right into it. But I will say one thing that she gets into in the interview that really was fun. Me? It, it, no, Allie, is we. Uh, she we, gets into me. Oh, she gets into you? Yeah, she was digging me. She, who doesn't dig you? A uh, big hole in the ground to throw you in. Uh, but uh, Allie, uh, we come up with an activities idea for Strings oh, and dude, Soul. she lit right up, dude. Yeah. This is uh, true. This is, Again, I'll give shit. To Seth till the end of the day. And toilet paper, but too. But he struck a court. Her face lit up like a candle on Christmas. Or a tree? A candle. Want to go to a tree? A candle. I mean, I don't know. Bush? Want to meet a bush? Bush. Okay. Bush. Bush. If you know where this comes from, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com, and I will send you an autograph poster. And some rock cards. And some rock cards. Bush. Bush, 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 bush. That's all. All right, so let's get into the alley crawl. Someone out there, trust me, will know what I'm okay, talking I'm, about. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't know. I wasn't saying anything more than that. Uh, do I need to give you one more hint? No, no, leave I it. I can give a hint. I didn't want to give away too many rock cards. There's only so many rock cards. Okay, speaking of rock and cards, Allie. This is Seth, your co-host, talking to you, Turner. And we are graced with the presence of Ali Kral, of, of Cornmeal, Yonder Mountain Stringman, and beyond. Ooh, thanks. Howdy, y'all. We are gratefully graceful that you're here. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm happy to be here too. Been here for two days, so just rocking it, settling in and enjoying the, the heat of Atlanta. Although the clouds did uh, cover the sun briefly and gave uh, us a nice, cool, and brisk thank God for breeze. That. We needed we, that. We are at the Candler Park Music Festival in sunny Atlanta, Georgia. And I would, I would like to ask, since we had Keller Williams on just within the last 12 hours, um, what is it like to just get together, throw together a band, and do and do a set and and run through the material once and then really knock it out of the park like <laughs> you did? I mean, uh, to a non-musician, that seems unfathomable. But to you talk well, to musicians about it, they're kind of oh, oh, I'm about it. I mean, there's a couple factors there. One is we're playing Grateful Dead music, so it's stuff that is in our bones, it's in our blood. We know how it goes. And the second part is that it's Keller guiding the way. You know, like, you can't make a mistake with that guy. He helps you along. He tells you, hey, we're about to go, you know, here. Hey, stay on here. He's got a mic behind him that he can tell us some guided, you know, uh, words while we're playing that the audience doesn't hear. But he'll even say stuff into the audience, like, all right, we're going to do this. Just the bass, just the bass. You know, it's like you can't make a mistake with him. He's great. So... I don't know. We can just, you know, run a tune and, and know that we're good to go on stage. Maybe it takes time to <laughs> to get there, but we're there. You know, we have fun. And the other thing that's hard to understand is when you knock it out of the park singing Women Are Smarter Like You Did or <laughs> singing You're No Good. You, and then I learned that you initially had to be talked into singing. It wasn't yeah, really your... Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in Cormiel, I I was in my 20s and I had a very mousy sort of voice and I've found out that your voice really changes when you enter your 30s you know I don't know if it's just that I had more confidence and could really put myself out there and be like you know like heck yeah I'm here you know or if it's that I'm you know able to really use my diaphragm now but uh, yeah I started singing and it started it, it felt like a whole new instrument that I could actually do do that I was you know really enjoying and that that was a whole new world for me and it's also opened you up I mean one of the things that if I recall when you transitioned and left cornmeal well, mm -hmm. you wanted to take on more projects and you're really open to it but then adding the ability to sing really opens the door wide oh yeah well and if people you know I, I can join other projects that aren't necessarily all bluegrass you know I've done like things with funk bands and and you know rock and roll and and it's like, okay, I'm not just there for a violin, so they can get me on board with some vocals if they want me to then. you know. Have you done uh, Everyone Orchestra? Oh, many, many, yeah. many times. Yeah. What is the most out-of-your-comfort-zone side project you've done, and, and what did you learn from it? Oh, every time I do something new, it's, you know, you learn something from it. Uh, so, you know, even if it's just me, like, developing my ears even more or you know learning new tunes and learning how to act with um, different personalities on stage how to make things go smoothly but my most uncomfortable moments was when I started putting together my own bands and like if it said the alley crawl band on it oh my god my nerves were like just through the roof one and I'm not used to that I'm not used to being nervous in front of a crowd and two like you know I'm also not used to guiding a stage you know and so that's something that I'm also getting used to like I, I play the fiddle I'm an added instrument I'm not the guitar or the bass where like everybody looks towards you know playing the whole time and, and guiding the songs you know so and I don't know chord changes I don't know chords so like people are looking at me like 
what are what are we playing? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I know that that's not right. <laughs> so you're self-trained all by all oh, by hearing? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Completely self-trained. Completely self-trained. I, I did the Suzuki method, which is a Japanese method of learning classical music, and you start at a very young age, and uh, they they call it, you know, they they, they say that. Every child can learn how to speak by, you know, learning their mother's tongue, you know, learning, you know, and, and through their parents um, guiding them and saying, and repetition, you know, say mama, say mama. So this guy, uh, Shinichi Suzuki, said, well, why can't everybody play the violin with that in mind? So he's got this whole program that's really amazing. I, like, it really developed my ear and... Uh, and most people then will go on and learn theory. And I really can't get past theory 103 or 104. <laughs> like, I'm... Well, I need to take theory on how to take oh theory. Oh, my gosh. It's, it just blows my mind. It's not the way I want to think about music. And I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn as a mule, so I just never did, you know? And it does, you know, if you're playing with somebody like Bela Fleck, it's like, yeah, you might want to know what's going on. You know, you can't just go by ear because it's so out there and so crazy amazing. And, yeah, so there, there's some times where it's, it's limiting, but for the most part, like, playing by ear has been okay. Since you mentioned it, how many times have you played with Mr. Fleck, one of my favorites? Um, just a small handful. And uh, I remember the first time, and I'll always remember it, I just couldn't believe he was on stage with me, you know. Um, yeah, maybe just two times that we've been on stage together at the same time. Yeah. He's a special one. Oh, incredibly special. Yeah, absolutely. So talk about Yonder Mountain String Band. To what extent is it um, a permanent gig? And to, oh, you yeah. know, You're in for the long haul. Oh, I'm in, I'm in for life. I'm a lifer. <laughs> I'm ready to play bluegrass for yonder forever, you know. <laughs> I really am. Yeah, I uh, when I first started playing with them, it was just kind of a oh, can you play this month with us and see how it goes? And I was used to playing rock and roll with Cornmeal, you know, so I wasn't quite sure if I even wanted to, you know, go that far into bluegrass rock because I really felt comfortable with drums in my bands. Um, but the way Jake and Ben and Adam and Dave all play together. I just, I, I was surprised. I didn't miss the drums. I didn't miss playing with him, and I still feel like I can, you know, get my rock and roll on with a, you know, traditional bluegrass band lineup. So, um, started playing more and more, and uh, they asked me to play, you know, through the year with them. This was a couple years ago, and then they asked me to play for all of 2015, and then it was like, okay, well, you want to be in the band? I'm like, well, duh. <laughs> it makes it makes sense Duh. though. It yeah, seems it natural. Yeah, well, yeah, and personality does. wise, like we really just click. But isn't that isn't that it? Isn't that what it often comes down to with bands? Is not necessarily you probably can play on stage with a wide variety of people. Yeah. But who can you travel and spend time a ridiculous amount of time with on the road? Right. Totally, totally. I mean, it's true. Sometimes you 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 do come in contact with some hard personalities, you know, and like you're making beautiful music with them. So it's like, well, do you really care? And it's like, well, if you're in a van for you know, like, and you're with them for for 24 hours for you know, four weeks, like, yeah, it does start to matter if you like the person's personality or not, you know? Unless so. you're big enough to have three trucks, like Crosby's well, and Well, there you go, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been lucky, you know, to always have really good bandmates, you know, and, and really trust trust them and love them as brothers, you know, from cornmeal to, 
to now, you know, yonder, and it's, it's great. And if you don't mind, Jake on mandolin is still new to a lot of us. Can you talk about how he was found? And uh... um, He was in a band called Joy Kill Sorrow. He was uh, born and raised in Oregon, but then went to school at Berkeley. And so he was, uh, you know, one of those Boston kids who was just outrageously good, you know. And uh, his manager used to manage Yonder. And so when they were looking for mandolin players, I know there were quite a few people who were like, hey, you got to check this kid out. Like, he's he's a good hang, <laughs> like we said, and he's just incredible. And uh, so that's, they, they brought him into the studio just to see, you know, if he had good ideas and if, you know, if he would mesh well with their playing and they were blown away and it was just like, well, yeah, <laughs> this is it. Um, he's the nicest guy in the world. He's the sweetest guy in the world. He's like a brother to me and I've only known him for a couple of years. And he, I will tell, tell you this, like he practices all darn day. It is crazy. It is so crazy cool. And he sang a nice America cover today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he sing every show? He does. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If you're not sure uh, who he is, and if you saw him in the street, he's actually starting a whole new style in oh. bluegrass. <laughs> it's called the Mando Bun. <laughs> man bun. Man, man bun is real. Bun. It's real hot now. Man bun. Oh, yeah, and he's got the biggest and the best man bun in the biz. <laughs> Our boys in Moon Taxi, they're front, they got on one of the talk shows, Conan or something like that. Nice. And the lead singer immediately threw a man bun on. You know, it's like nice. I, I was. I, want, I can't wait to have him yeah. on the show and ask if that was his call or his agent's. Call. Was it like a toupee <laughs> man bun? No, it was a back more over the you know toward the back man bun. It was over yeah. the top. Jake's always had good style. Even when he was when he was in Joy Kill Sorrow, he had like you know shorter hair, but it was like slicked back. You know, like he, yeah, he's got he's got cool style. He rocks it. Speaking of style, I'm just throwing this out there. I understand <laughs> you are into some crafty stuff. Sure, sure. And you do crafts. You you say that mm -hmm. you don't sew. You maybe sew a little <laughs> bit. Sew. Sew. sew a little bit. But yeah, uh, yeah. what kind of crafts are you doing these days? Um, I knit a lot. I knit for my family members and anybody who like you know wants a hand knit garment, which isn't usually my male friends. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, I found it to be, like, a very calming thing that I can bring onto the road, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I tried beading on the road and making bracelets, and, like, my beads would fall <laughs> every bus. time we hit a bump, <laughs> and they're everywhere. People are stepping on them. I was like, all right, <laughs> this isn't on. working. But then I, I took up knitting, and, and, you know, it was something my grandmother did, and I just, I, I, it's so calming. I love it. I oh. also bake. I cook. I'm, you know, little... Betty Crocker over well, here. Well, last year Susie we had Hummaker. we had such fun uh, with Sam Bush uh, and, and uh, Mimi. Doing, yes, exactly. Doing, <laughs> the, uh, doing a uh, bingo at the pool. What I yeah. was thinking this year at Strings and Soul, uh -huh. just throwing it out there. Okay. Um, what about doing a knitting class or like a knitting clinic or a knitting, you know, what do you call it? A knitting. Knit and play? I don't yeah. know. I just got the chills. I would love yeah. that. All I, right. I haven't. I. I been known to bring my knitting to Mexico and just sit in my bathing suit at the side of the pool and knit. <laughs> it makes I'm sense. not, you know, hey. Yeah, it's a good in the sun I activity. I might be a weirdo, but it's it's fun. So if there's other knitters there that are coming to Strings and Soul, bring your knitting. All yeah. right, we're going to knit. We are going to Mexican <laughs> knit. We got to come up with a good 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 name. <laughs> so your grandmother got you into knitting, but mm -hmm. your mother got you into the cowboy boots. Oh, yeah. How is she? She these these so these boots, oh man. They're made for walking, I hear. They're, they're made for walking, yeah. Um, that's just what they'll do. Um, I used to play barefoot uh, quite a few years back when I was just starting with cornmeal, and 
And I, I you know, I, I was comfortable playing, most comfortable playing barefoot, but there was one festival that I was playing where <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I had dirty feet because we were all, you know, uh, it was it's dusty. It was festy oh, okay. time. time. Yeah. Dirty and <laughs> and this, this one guy... Oh, man, I don't like calling people out like this. But this one guy started taking pictures of my feet from the front row. And I thought, oh, that's a little creepy. But then he didn't stop. So the Yikes. whole, like, hour and a half long set, this guy's taking pictures of my dirty feet. And I'm like, oh, this this ain't going to fly. So there's, like, a website out there that's, like, Ew. foot fetishes <laughs> of female Ew. fiddlers. It's all Fs. Foot fetish female fiddler. Oh I, I choose to be an you optimist and say you know some what? soap I'm not sponsor. Gonna, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to judge to each his own. But I just didn't want them to be my feet. Right. <laughs> that is creepy. That's all I'm saying. So now people are taking photos of your boots. How's that make yeah, you feel? Yeah, that makes me feel very proud. Yeah. But is it the kind of thing where when you go to different cities, do you go to cowboy boot shops and check them out like a vinyl? You know, a vinyl I usually don't have time to... to do that. So I just look online and, you know, I have specific brands that I know I, I love and they're great, you know, so... I just, I just go for it online. Yeah, these are my wedding boots. I wore these uh, at our wedding. They've got uh, some hearts white. on there. They They've got once. a little they bit of blue white, on there, and there's some lo- lovebirds on there. So they're they're nice and cute, and they make me think of my husband when I wear. My them. wife loves cowboy boots as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody loves cowboy boots. I mean, I would wear them, but you know, a Jewish-looking guy like me, <laughs> like, you know, people would definitely think I came right out of the movie. Uh, <laughs> What's the Mel Brooks movie? Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. <laughs> well, whenever I see you, it's always so hot outside. So it's kind of funny, too. It's like, well, That'd be funny. You know. Boots at the pool? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Hey. <laughs> Strings and Soul is the only place where I do... I, I don't even bring my boots. I don't. I don't even try. It's like you. You just know it's going to be so hot, so I just bring cute sandals. But they're typically leather sandals that are, you know, maybe they're they were cute. once boots they're that cute. are, you know, pieces and tied in, crafted <laughs> perhaps. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I also bring uh, long dresses to Strings and Soul because it gets so windy there, right by the ocean. And if I'm wearing a shorter dress, I've learned the hard way that, you know, you're going to have your Marilyn Monroe moments. <laughs> and I just, just don't want to get give right. people uh, more or, than they paid for. Especially if that foot <laughs> photo guy is anywhere near there. Actually, people might start, you know, asking for their money back, and we don't want that. <laughs> they came all that way, you know. It's like, all right. One, one, on. one area I do want to go into, because I know we, we are limited on time, I want to talk about the crawl space. Oh, my this God. Is Who told you? Keller. About? <laughs> Keller was raving about you and said you just got to oh. get into the crawl space. <laughs> okay. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it started in Portland. Um, my buddies and I were hanging out. Um, Brad Parsons is a uh, fantastic singer-songwriter, guitar player out, out there, and he's very close friends with all the fruition kids. So we were hanging out, and there's there's a spark that we all have when we hang together that just gets us going, and we just want to have drinks, you know, and it doesn't stop because we're having so much fun together. And, you know, we, our hangs can go pretty late because we just want to start picking then, you know. So there's been a few moments where I've had a couple too many, but, you know, I was around friends, so it was fine, and and uh, they call my attitude when I've had too many. <laughs> they, they say I'm in the crawl space, and so Brad officially nicknamed it, and then, you know, they make, and Keller got into it. He saw me in the crawl space when I played in Jamaica with him at Dark Star Orchestra's festival. He's like, so that's what the crawl space is. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. This is what I hear of. So that's what 
that is. I try not to go into the crawl space very often, but you know. But when you do next time, I, I hope we're there with microphones. The I think we've got a new term. I feel like I'm busted. We've got a new term for our group. Oh no! It's so funny. So have you done other projects beyond yonder since you left Cornmeal? Um, since home, very many. I. I played uh, with Poor Man's Whiskey during their uh, dark, uh, they, sorry, they, uh, their, what is their set? Dark Side of the Moonshine is what they called it. That's so that was so fun. Where are they from? Um, they're from the Bay Area, and uh, I got to learn all my favorite Floyd licks and uh, get my Pink Floyd on. So that was, that was really fun. I, I filled in for Aaron Redner um, when he was having babies, uh, for, so I played with the Hot Buttered Rum guys. I've played some funk with some friends in uh, Chicago, the Joel Marsnick band, and uh, 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 you know, around Portland, I've got a bunch of buddies that I've played with: Ben Larson, Fruition, Brad Parsons, Mimi Naja, and I would do a duo every once in a while too. So, uh, really, like whoever, it, it's 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 mostly like me playing with friends. You know, it's like okay, well, got a week off here. Why don't I get together with my buddies and? And make some good music, and it but, just kind of keeps keeps everything rolling and keeps your mind fresh, and so that you can go back to to yonder and and uh, um, not ever get burnt out by playing, mm-hmm. you know, yonder songs. So it's it's something that I'm very careful with because I don't ever want to. So it's kind of fun to mix it up now. And you kind of um, you kind of took this leap of faith, if you will. You know, oh. you took this leap into it. But it's kind of feel pretty good to say to jump into what you did a couple years ago and to really just say I'm a, you know I'm a, I'm a tour musician this is you know I'm gonna take it here and see where it goes and now I mean it's got to give you like a, some confidence or maybe your husband's like okay now it's okay you, can, yeah. you know because the faith is yeah. you don't have to have faith you will have yeah. gigs because you have proven yourself and there's there's always opportunity for you as a musician yeah. your job yeah. as a musician I'm in a safe zone at the moment but boy was it scary when I first left Cormio. I hem and, and hawed about the idea of leaving them for so long and inevitably it was the right decision that I needed to do but I, I made the decision not even knowing like Ooh, what's in store for me you know and I at one point I asked my husband I'm like gosh I, I'm so sick of trying to think over you know of if this is a good idea or not and I I you know, like loved my brothers in that band so much. And I'm like, I didn't want to let them down. I, and like, I kind of just want you to tell me what I need to do. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, ah, sweetie, I can't do that. You know, I'll like, tell you, but I, I, tell can't, you. I can't ever do that. He's like, you know, I don't want you to ever, um, if, if you're ever going through a time where you're sad and you're regretting your choice, I would start to blame it on him, you know? So, so I took a long freaking time to, to make that decision. And, uh, I, I I feel comfy now, and it's, and especially knowing that they're doing well too. It's like, okay, cool, you know. I, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm comfy with the decision now. But when that time came, when you had to actually go to them and tell them, I mean, how do they take that? I, it was heartbreaking, you know. Like we, they they didn't want it to happen, and and my heart didn't want it to happen either, you know. Like I had decided that it was the best thing for me, but my heart didn't want to go. I loved those guys, you know, and I loved the the old members. I loved the new guys who came in too. Like there were a couple new guys who came in, and I was like, oh, these guys are amazing, you know. And 
they're still my bros. I hang out with them. I see them whenever I possibly can and have a beer with them. But, uh, but yeah, it, I had to move on. Now, to the musician, or rather for the musician that's listening to this program, that's going through something similar in their head, what advice would you give someone that's sitting there on uh, a good opportunity, they got a good thing going, but... Has a difficult decision to make. I mean, I, same as my husband, I can't tell them what to do. <laughs> no, but really, like, I had to... I had to listen to my gut and trust what it was saying, even if it was a very hard thing to do. You know, like I kept making decisions because I didn't want to let other people down. And at this time in my life, I needed to make a decision for me and know that, oh, I was letting down fans and I was letting down my best friends in the world, you know, like, but I needed to do it. And so at times I felt very selfish, but... I also knew that, you know, I wasn't going to stop playing music, so I was going to get it out there to the world somehow, and I just, I had hope that everything would be okay. Yeah, well, apparently it, uh, it is. It is, You made now. a good decision. Seemed quite okay this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> and for those of you that weren't here this weekend, you could see her at almost any festival that she's at this summer, as long as you buy a ticket. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> or come join us. Uh, wait, I'd say join us at Strings of Soul, but it's sold out, it's isn't sold it? It's sold out, baby. How about oh, yeah. that? Amazing. Oh, yeah. Before we let you go, okay. I grew up and I first... You grew up? No, you did not. <laughs> I, I you did o- not grow up. I got up. older at a young time. Uh-huh. Uh, when I first only first knew of the violin beyond symphony was a guy by the name of Jean-Luc Ponty, first oh, playing with Zappa, sure. and then all his early work. Did, was he an influence on you at all? Do you, lis- um, do you listen to him still today? He wasn't the biggest influence in me. I, I listen to his stuff, and I just can't even comprehend what he's doing. He's like... You know, I said I play by ear, and I'm usually able to hear other fiddle players and what they're doing and try and recreate it, you know, if I'm trying to, you know, further my technique and stuff like that. I would say my biggest influence was Jason Carter, and then I'd say, you know, like Vassar Clements and, and you know, Stuart Duncan. Um, it was uh, a lot of my bigger solo influences have been Jerry. 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 The man. Yeah, honestly, like, listening to how, you know, he would build a solo from nothing, it was just so beautiful. Because when I transitioned from classical into bluegrass, I was just basically spitting out, you know, 16th notes like nobody's business and being like, ta-da, you know? And it's like, well, people were like, oh, like, they were stunned, just wide-eyed, like, looking at me like, whoa, uh, that was pretty cool, but I can't even (laughs) comprehend what you just... Like, right. what was that, you know? And so my uh, Chris Ganji, my old uh, bass player for Cornmeal, actually told me, he's like, you know what, you got to say something, girl. And I'm like, what do you mean say something? I'm saying a lot. Right. <laughs> he's like, no, you got like, to go listen to Jerry. He's like, listen to how he starts his solos. And, you know, he, he, he starts off with a, hi, how's it going? Oh, it's good to see you again. You know, and like maybe like starts, plays at one lick and then branches off from there and then branches off a little bit more and goes back to the original lick. And like and go- Morning Dew, the big jam in Morning yes. Dew would be the ultimate example. So amazing. And it's just, you know, having something, when I started to have something that was more of a conversation, I started really connecting with my audience 
so much more, you know, like, and they can, I've always been a passionate player, so people can see that, and they can see that I'm having the best time of my life every time I'm on stage, and I'm just, I'm a built-in performer, that's what I've always wanted to do, but now that I'm, I, I still struggle with it, you know, I still have times where I'm not thinking of anything while I'm playing, and I'm like, this is complete garbage. <laughs> I played a solo tonight where I looked, I, I went back into the microphone behind me and said, that was called Ode to Slop, Queen of the Slop right there. <laughs> but it's a joke to me. It's not like I'm being, I'm not like going into the dressing room and being like, oh my gosh, I have to practice for 12 hours to make up for that. I, was, I mean, I was wondering about that. I saw the vase and the flowers on the floor and like, uh, I was like, <laughs> Broken mirrors, yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? It's live music. It's meant to be made in the moment. And sometimes it's the most amazing thing you've ever done. And sometimes it's not, you know? And, like, it just makes those moments that are amazing that much better. Because, you know, you can't always create that. You mentioned Jason Carter, Del McCoy band. Yeah. So... So smooth. Yeah, how long, when did you first hear him play, and then um, when did you end up meeting him? I was in college, and uh, I started playing with a bluegrass band called Green Mountain Grass. We were based out of uh, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, and uh, they turned me on to Jason Carter. Um, I would go see the Del McCurry Band, and I was just in awe. He was a great transition from classical music, because if I listened to fiddle players who were old-timey and out of tune, my ears didn't like it. I couldn't comprehend playing that way you know and now I can you know now I'm I'm totally comfortable trying to play old-timey and I respect it so but much. but not in your formative years but when you more have a vision of what yeah and it was like oh I don't play out of tune you don't right. do this you don't hold the violin like this you can't do that there were so many rules and you know even though Jason was born and raised playing bluegrass he is one of the most amazing violinists ever you know he just he he's so tasty he's so tasty he doesn't play a wrong note and he'll never say that he's so humble too so I met him I you know like at some of his shows just you know getting uh, autographs after the shows you know and and then uh, there was a moment in 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 St. Louis that uh, the Traveling McCurries were playing and Cormier was playing and they asked me to sit in nice I freaked out I didn't do it oh. yeah I was I, I was <laughs> Was too nervous I didn't want to meet him in that way and I also like I knew what what level I was at and I knew what level he was at and I didn't want to I didn't want to go there I was too I was a scaredy cat I was I was yeah I was well they literally might be the greatest bluegrass band on the planet so I guess it's understandable 100% I 100% but it, it's sad because I missed an opportunity to like you know Oh, you never got the opportunity again. Well, I did. I oh, okay. did afterwards. Uh, they put on a bluegrass ball, and they asked me to play with him. And the first time, like, he and I were uh, backstage, and I'm trying to learn a lick that he's trying to teach me, and it's going in one ear and out the other because I'm too starstruck, you know? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. My ear's just not working at the moment. He was so patient. He's like, it's all right. It's all right, you know? And he just kept playing it, and I got it eventually. And then when we played one show... I just saw how nice he he is, and he doesn't like he doesn't judge other fiddle players for you know how talented they are or not. Like he's just a good hang, and uh, now I feel like he's a brother, and I can I can play with him, and 
He's certainly not an equal. <laughs> I will forever be impressed with his playing and strive to be that good, but um, I'm not, you know, too scared to play with him now. <laughs> so, Anyone you are too scared to play with? Um, now that that's over, probably not. You Sky's know, like, the limit now. Now it's okay, you know, because I've been through that and know that, okay, well, if somebody is going to judge my playing, well, then who cares, you know? That's that's on them, you know? Like, I'm not the best fiddle player in the world. I never will be, but I do love what I do, and I just want to play with other people who love it just as much as I do. Well, kind of in that vein, we, we often talk about festivals, and before we let you go, um, do you ever go to any of the Fiddler ex exclusive festivals? I wish I had time, you know, because like, I've been told what so about many when amazing you were things. No, I never grew up playing fiddle. Jacob grew up playing, like going to all those festivals, you know, and he won mandolin competition after competition, you know, but I didn't grow up in that world. I grew up in a very strict uh, classical world, and I loved that world, you know, but yeah, that was, uh, that was my past. What's your favorite classical to play? Um, well, I've got some Bach tattooed to my arm right here. No, really? uh, Partita number two, Chaconne. Um, I, uh, I love playing on a, on a company Bach, and I still do. Like, I still play, play that for fun, you know. Um, it's kind of like the ABCs of learning the professional level of violin playing, you know. It, the, the, the double stops and chordal structures are just so moving. They're so beautiful. Um, I would say that's my all-time favorite. That's my go-to. I like anything like with like a gypsy kind of spirit to it, too. <laughs> there's a Brook violin concerto that's really good. Um, there's some Mendelssohn that's good. Yeah, I don't know. I never got into Brook. Just never had the money. <laughs> you should look him up. Yo-Yo <laughs> uh, um, Ma, I got to see live at Lincoln Center once. He pretty much melted me. I'm sure you're familiar Absolutely. with him. Yeah. I mean, they, they talk about getting emotion out of an instrument. It's and the cello magical. in general is the best, you know, like that is my favorite instrument on the planet. If I could play the cello, I would. <laughs> but getting back to festival summer camp, uh -huh. if you could end and talk about, I think cornmeal kind of came through that festival, right? Yeah, I've played every summer camp except for the very first one. I played it a, a year or two with Green Mountain Grass and then, uh, you know, for, for a year, 10 years with cornmeal and then now as an artist at large and then with with yonder a couple times and it's home to me you know it's a it's a great festival and and i i, I love everything about it <laughs> it's home what's your favorite sit-in over all the years of all the sit-ins at always summer camp mo. always mo oh really yeah That's good it's, to hear. It, they i just work with them and they're so rock and roll and it's it's the best time you know yeah well, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, really thank you. appreciate having you. And uh, you've been very busy this weekend. You you broke off some some you know half hour for us. Very cool yeah. of you. And, uh, <laughs> and for you again, those listening and going to be a strings and soul. Don't forget to see Allie as she fiddle stitches. Yeah, don't forget to bring your knitting. <laughs> Is there a website and what's the date again on strings and soul? It's in December. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sold out. So check it out. Strings and sold out. Strings and sold so learn out. how to knit and bring your knitting. There we go. <laughs> well, thank you. We wish you all the success. And Thanks we look forward for to seeing me. your success years for years and years ahead. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> I got the key to the kingdom. Got a ship to sail. I got a ship to sail. I got a ship to sail. Bird in the hand won't fly away. Tween too long on the break of day. 
mountainside on the mountainside For your sake I always tried For your life I always lied Black sheep Black sheep Black
that was a that was a really great interview, and I enjoyed it. And I really hope that we can do more and 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 talk to Ali again as her career continues to grow because it will continue to grow. Um, and as she said, she's got a lot of side projects going on. I feel ignorant that with all the research I did, I didn't have any idea she had been a permanent member of Fionda for like a year before that interview. You didn't know that? No, and I... I didn't dude, catch I that. Dude, I read like 17,000 articles on her. I don't see it ever... Was it ever You know mentioned? why? Because there's an I in bio. There's an I in bio. Oh, saying it again, that cleared it up. Yeah, speaking of clearing it up, what did you want to talk about this most recent news? Uh, Sarah Silverman, let's talk about her if you well, want. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like, uh, you know, it was the first night of the Democratic Convention. Michelle Obama and uh, Bernie Saunders gave nice speeches. Saunders? Sanders, excuse me. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Thinking of my ex-girlfriend. Oh Jennifer, my if you're God. listening, you're still in my head, baby. Um, Bernie Sanders Bernie, and Michelle Obama. Bernie. Great speeches, Bernie, but no Bernie. improv whatsoever, Seth. What the hell? You know, They're not you, comedians. And also mail-order genius. You know, I think they hired Steve Marcus because they gave the killer you know, seats for Monday to Bernie fans, and they gave the killer seats for Thursday to Hillary fans. Very, very good thinking. And music there. You had, um, I, I, I thought that the whole uh, Paul Simon piece was really appropriately timed. It really brought the room together, you know what I mean? Except Bernie fans, God bless you, but when you talk over Paul Simon, you're not winning me over. Shut the fuck up. And that gets to the point. Here's the thing. It's such a difficult thing with the Democratic Party because on the one hand, it's easy to watch that convention and say that the Bernie fans were obnoxious because they were shouting people, including Elizabeth Warren, who's giving a wonderful speech. And um, the rising star of the Democratic Party, Cory Booker, was giving, honestly... Would you say that Cory Booker is is to the convention currently, is he what Obama was prior to Obama's year? Do you know what I'm talking about? Close, but not quite. Because do you remember that when Obama, the, the yeah. four years prior to his... Yes, he didn't, he didn't, he came, he mean, didn't hit a home incredible. run like that. He didn't hit a home run like that. But, but that I'll, was incredible, but right? I'll, but I'll tell you what. He's the kind of person that can inspire and get people over this um, awful feeling so many of us get about politicians. Well, well listen, the Democratic, uh, the Democratic Conference party whatever you want to whatever you want to talk about it's chewing glass we get it but bernie last night at least he 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 did his best to say look this is better than what is and he also he he, he i think that he he's going to stay involved i don't think i don't think he's going to go away i think he's going to stay involved and hopefully hillary if she gets elected will will keep him a part of it because he's got he's got a lot of good things to say and i'll get back to him because he's one of the two quotes that really resonated most with me at this convention. But yeah, of course, as you mentioned, Sarah Silverman. The, the thing about the Bernie guys, <clears throat> okay, some sh- shady shit went on <clears throat> in that it seems as though the Democratic Party was slanted toward Hillary and some emails that came out, and that's why Wasserman, whatever the hell her name is, Debbie Wasserman, got fired. So on the one hand, I understand why Bernie fans feel screwed. They worked their ass off, they had a dream, and they wanted, you know, it seems like the, it was rigged against them. As, but they accomplished so much, though. They True. really did. And at this point, when you're at the convention, and this is what I say about all these extreme groups, you're trying to win over people who are in the middle. You don't have to worry about the people who already agree with you. And when, say, someone who's a Democrat, a conservative Democrat who's winnable but maybe wooable by the Republicans... And you're watching Cory Booker or Elizabeth Warren speak and make some sense, but they have to speak over your shouting. It doesn't reflect well upon your cause. Is it like going to a concert and having someone just talk in front of you? 
Is that like the same feeling? Except does it invoke that it's same not, feeling? Honestly, it's not that bad because, again, Bernie fans have an argument. They have a legitimate argument. I get that. I understand. And it's hard to... It's like spinach, like I said. You have to, it's hard to plug your nose and vote for Hillary. I, I get that. There's a lot to not like and be scared about Hillary. But internationally, I think we'll be okay with Hillary as president. Oh, I really do. There's no doubt about it. But listen, regardless of what side you guys are on, I do encourage you to please go and, and vote. vote. And if vote. you're not registered, go to headcount.org. Headcount and, and educate yourself. Make your own mind up. You don't have to agree with me. Read. Read, educate yourself, and make an informed decision, as Bob Weir's now taken to saying, you know how Phil Lesh does the uh, donor rap at the end of his shows? Uh -huh. The thing Bob Weir started saying, go out and vote. It's your future. Which go is true. He's, almost, he's got his Lorax beard. He's got his you know, curly hair. Bob Weir's not doing this for him. Bob Weir's not trying to tell you to vote for him. He, he knows it's your world, young folks. And I'm as sorry. Mark Brownstein said in our prior interview with him from uh, the Disco Biscuits, Go make a difference. It's don't, don't let this revolution end because Bernie didn't get elected. Don't be discouraged because the change you want wasn't immediate enough. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we didn't even talk about Sarah yet. So Al Franken, finish with Sarah, yeah. senator, senator from Minnesota, former, former Saturday Night Live skit guy, Stuart Smalley, for those of you who are SNL-centric. I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people, people like, like Inside Out with Turner and Seth. Mm, some. We're getting there. Um, so Sarah Silverman comes out with Al Franken during his speech and, and was, you know, she's trying to do her thing and they keep interrupting her and she said, and she's a Bernie supporter. She's coming oh, from she's the Bernie big time, side. She's big time Bernie. She said, Bernie supporters, you're being ridiculous. No, no, she's talking to the burner bust. The burner right. bust. Yes, the burn ex yeah, extreme ones. Yeah, extreme. She also had a funny line. She said she feels a burn. And, and she, then she finished with the Baba Booey, she, which is amazing. Oh, did I take that from you? I already said in the beginning. Oh, I'm so sorry. No. I took the Howard no, out no, of you. I'm so no. sorry. It's that I was leading to a line. I even said she had a line, and you stepped uh, on I didn't know that you were going there. You just got to advance this shit with me, Rob. Don't. Fuck it. God, you just, you're acting like I can't even say this on the air. Marsha Fudge. Have you heard her? Marsha Fudge and uh, Cory Booker. Go fudge yourself. Quoting them, and then we're done. Okay. 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 Marsha Fudge, she was being shouted down trying to speak. She's the uh, chair, you know. She's a. Uh, Democrat of Ohio from the 11th District. The Fighting 11th. She said, love... Uh, no, that's not her. I intend to be fair. I want to hear the varying opinions in here. I want to be respectful to you. I want you to be respectful to me. We need more on politics today! <clears throat> and Cory Booker. Who Booker is, T. Who's the rising star of the Democratic Party. Very well-spoken, very cool guy, and from what I know, an old-school politician. Love recognizes that we need each other. That as we as a nation are better together, that when we are divided, we are weak, we decline. When we are united, we are strong, invincible. The understanding of love is embodied in the African saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. That hit me harder than anything of both of these weeks. And on that, we leave you all with some music. We're going to play a song from Dwayne's Old Band. What's the name of Dwayne's Old Band? King... Lincoln, speaking of politics, King Lincoln. And then a couple from Ollie. I think we've got... Do we Ollie? Ollie. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You say you're a fan. You know what, Rob? You're fired. Ollie, Ollie, income free. I'm just kidding. I She's married. Who cares? Um, uh, <laughs> Ollie. 
we couldn't get the women are smarter that we wanted, but we're going to play, uh, I guess, You're No Good from Yonder. And what was the other? we got some other track for you. It's awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. You know where to find us. And if you haven't signed up for Twitter yet, please do, because Rob is crying. Actually, and- we got when the Great Peacock one came out, and in that episode, I asked for people to sign up. People did. So I'm going to start being nicer. Thank you, Did guys. they really? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't tell me that. Yeah. Well, the way you've been tweeting these days, uh, they're probably going to cancel pretty quickly. You're confusing my account with a show account. Oh. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. This is Rob Turner, and that is Seth Weiner in the City Winery. Did we say that? We are at the City Winery. We said it. Thank you, City Winery. And I I hope to be here the next five Tuesdays. Are they going to let me in? Uh, It depends how you act on the first, Rob. Keep your shirt on. (laughs) Keep your shirt on. And with that, we say... Adi... What? Adios, motherfuckers. Oh, s- <laughs> Try that again. With that, we say... Adi! Audience. All right. Thank you. Bye.
Shredder here on the mandolin is Jacob Jolliffe, everybody. Thanks a lot, everybody. He doesn't wear shorts either, no matter what the temperature is. <laughs> I heard that he doesn't wear shorts because he, uh, his picks get so hot, and one time he dropped one on his his legs and it's been horribly disfigured. <laughs> 